All right, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that uh, we can come together to hear you, Lord, to worship you together. And Lord, we give you this time. May you speak to our hearts and to our minds. And Lord, we pray against distractions, anything that would try to distract us from your word. We pray that you would um, just move in our lives. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. How many of you are avid readers? Any of you like, like reading stories? Movies? You watch movies? Good movie readers? All right. How many of you have ever read a book or watched a movie or a TV show that was so good you didn't want it to end? Can you think of something? Right, you're watching, you're so into it, you're like, I didn't want it to end. For me, the show Lost, how many of you have ever watched Lost? Remember that show Lost? To me, I know a little controversial, you either love it or hate it, but that show to me was one of my favorite shows because I got so into the characters and the story that I didn't want the series to end. I was a little sad, all right? I, not emotional sad, like, like, you know, but I was, I was sad that to see it end. That's, that's how good, I, that's how much I enjoyed it, right? But having, reading a book, I'm not a big reader, so I've never read a book that, like, I didn't want it to end, but perhaps some of you have shared that experience. Of course, there are some movies that are good, but then the ending is disappointing. How many of you have experienced that? You've watched that recently. You're watching a movie, and you're waiting for the ending, and then you're like, that's it? <laughs> it ended like that? Right? That's a little disappointing. Then there are some movies or shows, you watch some movie, and you're enduring this movie, and you cannot wait for this movie to just end, right? I've watched a recent, couple recent movies, I won't say what it is, but uh, let's say it was based on a comic book characters, right? I'll just say it was one of the worst things I ever watched. And I'm like, when will this end? This is painful, you know? I'm like, I invested so much time into it. Do I just turn it off? But I'm like, it's got to end well, right? And no, it didn't end well either, right? So that's a little disappointing. But it's kind of rare to have a movie or a show or a book that is so good that you just don't want it to end. Hopefully you can come, come across those kind of things, right? Just like any story, of course, our life is like a story, right? Our life is a story. It has a beginning, and eventually it has an ending. But the ending isn't, the ending is our time here on earth, right? That's our ending, right? But our story goes beyond just our last breath. It's interesting. There's more to life than death. How many of you ever heard that before? No one, good, because I just thought of that title today. I never heard that phrase. The title of the message today, oh, wait, I don't have my clicker. So, I don't have my clicker. I could try to do it with my mind. All right, it's right there, okay. Um, title of the message today is More to Life Than Death. What do I mean by that? People try to do all they can before death, right? Right? 
some people have that mentality. They want to do as much as they can before they pass. I want to get as much out of life as I possibly can. So they do all sorts of things. Maybe they have a bucket list. How many of you have a bucket list? There's some things that you want to accomplish or do before you pass. Some people have that mentality about their finances, right? Got it. Thank you, sir. How can I doubt them? They had it. Some people have that mentality with their finances, right? I want to save as much as I possibly can for when I die. So they accumulate, they have their savings. And then hopefully they have enough to pass along to their family members for them until they pass away. People often pursue pleasures this way, right? They pursue pleasures, but how often do those pleasures end up leading to death? So many things that they try to do. How many people live a certain lifestyle that ends up leading them to their physical death? We don't really think about the consequences sometimes, but we have to realize, right, the life we live here, what we sow in our lifetime now, will reap eternal consequences. What we do here on earth will reap eternal consequences. And those consequences could be blessings or it could be condemnation. We don't tend to think about that. But if if God desires to bless us in eternity... Right? If that's God's desire, we'll look at that soon. If God desires to bless us in eternity, it should cause us to think about what are we doing in this life? How are we living this life now if what we're doing now can have eternal consequences? Now, going back to, to May when we started this study, Started back at Genesis. I mentioned as we go through this study, we're going to focus on three things in general, right? The first thing is focus on to better understand God and his story. As we go through scripture, to better understand God and his story. And then we're going to better understand ourselves and our story, right? Our life. So then third, we can better understand God in our story, right? So if we can understand God better and understand his story as we see in scripture, then we can better understand ourselves and we can better understand our life, how we ought to see our life and our story so that we can better understand God in our story, how God is in our lives. As we go about our life, we can understand God better. So that's been our focus, and that's the things that we're going to focus on as we go through our study. Now we're moving on, thankfully. We're moving on, and we're going to read from chapter 7, or chapter 2, verse 7, and we're going to read through Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read all of that today to get a full grasp of a full context, a full picture, and then we're going to kind of look, look back at certain lessons and certain um, observations as we go. So we're going to be in this chunk of passages for the several messages, okay? But I want us to get back into the context of Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 7. It goes like this. 
Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So you get where it's going, what's going on so far, right? In chapter 2, we're getting a, a, a different description of the creation story, right? So God makes Adam, breathes life into him, and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Creates all these animals, brings all these animals up. And even the dog is not the man's best friend. Not the suitable helper that he needed. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now we mentioned this several messages ago. It's often translated as rib, but I think it's more appropriate the side. So not necessarily the rib, but a part of the side of the man. Verse 23. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to the wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me pause there for a second. So in chapter 1, we saw God's pattern of creation, right? In chapter 1, he created the environment. Right? We saw in general, then he created the separated land and the waters, he created the atmosphere, he assigned the stars in the sky, and so forth. He created the environment, and then he created man to be able to live in the environment. And we see in chapter 2, similarly, we see that God creates this garden, and he places man into the garden. And then we see that God creates Eve and brings Eve to him, in the garden. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall now eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me from the fruit, and I ate. Don't worry, we'll get to the description of this story next week. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, or said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and you shall rule, or he shall rule over you. I got to get that one right, huh? Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of, our, of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, <coughs> excuse me, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, let me take a breath. That was a lot to read. We're going to cover this passage over the next few weeks. But you may have observed in the first three chapters of Genesis, 
There's different themes in the first three chapters of Genesis. We all know Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? So you can see the theme of beginnings in the first three chapters. We see the beginning of time as we know it, right? The beginning of seasons as we know it. We see the beginning of nature as we know it. We see the beginning of living beings as we know it. The animals, land, air, sea, right? But at the top of God's creative order was what? He created man and woman. That was the top of God's creative act. And what makes man and woman so valuable over all of God's creation? It's the inspiration for man and woman, right? What inspired God to create man and woman? It was himself. God created man and woman according to his image and likeness. That's pretty amazing stuff, right? The inspiration for God's creative act of man and woman was himself. So Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is also marks the beginnings of relationships. It's the beginning of relationship, the beginning of relationship between man and woman, but also the relationship between man and woman and God. But I would say if you look at all the, the, of the, the three chapters looked at so far, I think the most prevalent, most, to me at least, the most prominent theme we see in the first three chapters is this theme of life. Of life. This idea of life is throughout the first three chapters. Now we've been looking at three areas in the past few messages, three areas in which the enemy really tries to sabotage our understanding of what it means to be created in God's image, right? I've been saying this probably every week for the past month, right? He tries to sabotage our self-image, sabotage our selfish pride, sabotage our idea of what it means, or sexuality, what that means. And the fourth thing we're going to start looking at is our idea of the sanctity of life. How we understand life itself. Do we understand life as sacred? Or do we consider life as something that could be thrown away? When we think of this phrase, sanctity of life, what's the first thing you thought of? Most likely, if you heard the phrase sanctity of life, you probably thought of abortion right away, right? Perhaps you've heard that phrase used when someone's defending the position of pro-life. They say, I'm pro-life because I believe in the sanctity of life. That life is precious. Life is sacred. But before we even, even talk about abortion for a second, we need to understand life. Understand how precious life is. The significance of the gift of life. So do we understand how precious the gift of life truly is? Do we value God's gift of life as we should? So we're going to take, start taking a look at that in these few weeks. If you recall back in our study all the way back in chapter 1, we mentioned that we see this theme of God, what we understand about God in the first two chapters of Genesis. And we see that God is the sole creator and designer of all creation. 
that God creates with purpose and intention, right? And that God is master over creation. His hand is over all creation. But that we also saw that God is provider for creation. So we saw that in Genesis chapter 1, and we're seeing this in chapter 2, this theme going forward. We see that God creates man and woman. We see that God creates man and woman with purpose and intention, right? We'll see that God shows his mastery over creation, but also we see that he lays out limitations for man and woman, right? And then we'll see that God generously provides for his creation, specifically for man and woman. So we're going to take a look at those things. God creates man and woman. And scripture is very clear who is responsible for life. That God is the giver of life. Scripture is not ambiguous about this whatsoever. Look how God chose to create man in verse 7 of chapter 2. He says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now isn't this kind of interesting description of how God chose to create man? He models man from the dust of the ground. God molds man from his intricate design and purposeful intention. I remember I've asked you guys before how many of you like art, right? How many of you draw or you create or sculpture? I know some of you take classes, a pottery or something like that. If you ever creatively thought of drawing or molding something, you have an image in your head of what you want to design, what you want to create, and then you put it to pen or you put it to ink or you, you mold it and shape it. And it says here that God molded man out of his intricate design and intentions, just like a potter does with clay. He molds it and shapes it. And this may seem obvious, but this is interesting. Material is not what gives a creature life right? It's not the material itself. We all probably got here by car, right? Most of us, I think, we all drove a car. Could we say our car is alive? It's not really a living being. It's material, right? Our bodies are material. What makes our bodies a living being? God is the jump starter for life. He says, he breathed life into the nostrils of man, filled his lungs, and he became a living being. And this carries out throughout scripture where the breath of life in the nostrils of a living being describes living creatures. Everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord, right? We see that description. It's an amazing thought that God breathed life into the nostrils of man and he became a living being. It's interesting, so on a side note, we don't see this description of woman. 
We don't see here that God breathed life into the woman. It's not to say that didn't happen, right? Just because it didn't say it doesn't mean it didn't happen, right? So that's not, you know, we don't know. It's not there. But what we can say is from part of the living man came living woman. Why is that significant? The living did not come from the non-living, right? Non-living things did not bring forth a living being. So it's kind of interesting. Why God didn't add it, don't know. I don't want to get into too, too big of a theological discussion of it. But what's interesting is that it all comes full circle, how God brought forth life. Because what do we see at the end, right? When Adam names Eve, or names the woman, he names her Eve, which means the mother of all living. And it's interesting how God makes a full circle that he breathed life into the man. Out of the side of the man comes woman, but from the woman comes what? Life. The woman will pass life onto the living being. No longer it's just through the man, right? And I will say, praise God for that. Praise God for all you women who God blessed you to be able to do that, and it wasn't me. On a side note. But so it's interesting how God brings full circle that from the woman passes life to the next living being. But this is the way in which God brought forth life. But he is the ultimate giver of of life. Look at Job, Job 27, verse 3. For as long as life, or that word literally breath, is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. So again, we see his understanding of a living being, as long as I have the breath that God has given me in my lungs, in my nostrils. Isaiah 42, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Scripture is very clear. It is God who gives life, who gives breath in our lungs. It makes me think we really underestimate how offensive it must be to God for people to think that life was created accidentally, randomly, right? How offensive God must be. Here he is, his intricate design brings forth life, complicated beings. Out of his own inspiration, how offensive it must be for someone to say, this all came randomly. There is no creator. There is no God. So God creates man and woman, but we also see God creates man and woman with purpose and intention. We see two specific purposes here that he lays out. One, to help cultivate life, but also to help create life. Chapter 1, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He also says in chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took man, 
and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And later we see in verse 24, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to the wife, and they shall become one flesh. See, when God created man and woman, he created intentionally and purposefully. Tend to my creation. Subdue it, rule over it. This is your responsibility. And when he created man and woman, he created man and woman distinctly, intentionally, and purposefully. I love that God created man and woman intentionally. He did not just create woman, right? He saw that man was in need. He said, you know, it's not good that man is alone. I'm going to create a helper. Isn't it great that God didn't just create woman and went presented to Adam, the woman, and said, hey, Adam, here's, here's, here's your woman. Do whatever you want. Have at it. Whatever you want to do with a woman, it's up to you. That's kind of good, right, that God didn't do that way? Isn't it good that when God created a woman, he said, here, woman, <laughs> probably not said it that way, right? I'm going to take you to man, and you know what? Check him out. See if you like him. If you don't like him, leave. No problem, right? Isn't it good that God didn't do that way? It's kind of nice, right? Isn't it nice that when God created man and woman, he didn't say, you know what? Be fruitful and multiply with however many people you want. That's kind of good, right? God didn't do it that way. He didn't just leave it as be fruitful and multiply. But he said, what? The intention is that you be fruitful and multiply, but there's going to be a, a distinct relationship that you will have together. You will have together. You will be able to enjoy an intimate relationship, a relationship of oneness. They share oneness together while they also maintain their individuality. Right? He didn't create woman to be man. He did not create man to be woman. He said, you will be together one. You will be both individuals, but together you share a oneness, an intimate relationship unlike others that people will share. Right? Isn't that nice? When God created, he created intentionally, purposefully. And that through this marriage relationship, this design by God, through this marriage relationship will come other relationships, which we call family. And this family unit will be the means in which life comes more life, right? So God created intentionally and purposefully, but God also shows his mastery over creation. While God gave a, a certain amount of autonomy to the man and woman, right? God still holds the position of authority. He established limitations for the man and woman. He is the one who assigned their purpose. He defined their role. He placed them in the garden. And then God gave just one restriction. One restriction. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you shall surely die. See, God enabled man and woman with the ability to make decisions with only one restriction. All the trees, good, except for one. The tree of knowledge, good and evil. And it's interesting, God did not make the consequences mysterious. He did not make it ambiguous. Parents, if you're a parent in here, how many of you have ever done this to your kid? You had to warn them. Johnny, don't touch this. Now, I don't know why hypothetical children are always named Johnny, right? I just threw out the Johnny. Johnny, don't do it or else. How many have ever said that? You don't have to raise your hands, right? Don't do this or else. What comes in the kids' minds next? Or else what? Right? When a parent says or else, you know what that means? They haven't seriously considered what the consequences yet is, right? They don't know yet. <laughs> they don't know how serious they're feeling at the moment, right? Or maybe all they're really wanting you to do is feel fear. <laughs> they're not really serious about the punishment, but they're saying, uh, or else, right? Jamie and I, when our kids were younger, they did something, would say, we would threaten them with the boosh. How many of you know what the boosh is? Yeah, none of you know what the bush is. They didn't know what the bush was either. <laughs> I got it from the show The Wonder Years. The bush in The Wonder Years was Kevin, the younger brother, got held upside down over the toilet. And you know what it was? What happened next, right? The toilet got flushed with his head in the toilet bowl. That was the bush. Now, of course... We were not serious. We were only 75% kidding. Okay. 25% of me really wanted to do it, but of course, we never followed through with that threat of the bush. It was more kidding, right? But it was always this ambiguous. We never described to them what the bush was because they would never take it seriously. Like, mom and dad wouldn't really, or maybe dad would, but mom will never hold me over the toilet over my head, and Right? Don't worry, we never did it, right? That wasn't a real threat. But God's declaration was not ambiguous. He made the consequences quite clear. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now many ask, why did God create the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the first place? Why even make a restriction? Why give them a choice? We'll explore that in the following messages. But much attention is given to that one restriction God established, right? So much focus is on that one restriction. But I think this really takes away from what God did provide. Because see, God generously provides for his creation. Look what God provided. God provided all the food they could want. 
And out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, except the one that I told you not to. All you can eat. All these trees enjoy as much as you want. Delight in it. Have at it. Enjoy it. Even God provided ultimate companionship. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. God provided all that man and woman needed to enjoy his creation. He even gave them prime location. He put him in the garden. What's that garden named? Eden. You know what Eden means? Pleasure. Right? He, even the location means pleasure. It was for them to enjoy. I believe God's intention for man and woman and for people was to enjoy the pleasures that he created for them to enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy what I have given you. I have created for you. I mentioned last week, we talked about desires, and we think having desires and pleasures is a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. It's a God-given thing to have desires and pleasure. But the question is, what do we desire, and what do we take pleasure in? But from the very beginning, imagine that even he says to work, right? God intended that you're going to do work, but you're going to enjoy it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine enjoying work? How many of you garden? Some of you garden? I don't know how you do it. That would not be pleasurable for me. That's not pleasure. But can you imagine gardening and there's no hard work? You just enjoy it. What a blessing. Women, can you fathom childbirth pain? The pain level is not there. Can you imagine that? You're like, no, I actually cannot imagine that. Right? This was God's intention. But what gets overlooked, all these things, what God desires for us, is the restriction. That for some reason, the man and woman they, they did not take part in what God said you can do. Because see, in the middle of the garden of pleasure was this tree of life. God did not forbid them to eat of that tree. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you shall surely die. Did God set Adam and Eve up for failure? I don't think so. I think God set them up to success. That's my take on it. 
God didn't set them up to fail. He set them up to succeed, to enjoy. He provided all he could for them to choose life. I think people assume that when God created man and woman, he created them immortal, right? I don't know about that. We don't necessarily see that in the text. We infer that because as sin came, right, the consequence of death is declared. However, the two trees are present in this garden of paradise. In the center of the garden was the tree of life, and there was also the tree of knowledge, good and evil. One represented life, one represented death. Two simple choices, life or death, obedience or rebellion. See, I personally don't believe death was God's intention. I don't, I don't believe that God desired for man and woman to disobey. I don't know if that's radical. You can think about that theologically. We'll go through that as we look at the story of Scripture. But we can certainly say life certainly changed from that single moment in time. Because once sin came in, it caused what God meant to be, to have to wait until he makes all things new. Right? In the meantime, and we're going to get, over, we're going to get into what happens in chapter 3 in the coming weeks. In the meantime, we're given life to live, Right? Fast forward however many years into our present time. I don't have to tell most of us that the days we're given are precious, right? We'll all live at some time and breathe our final breath at some point in time in our lives. But what we do in between our first breath and our last is precious, it's valuable. It's meaningful. And if we're seeing our story ending with our physical death, we are living with the wrong perspective in mind. If we're seeing the end of our story with our final breath on earth, then I don't know if we really see the full meaning of life that God has given us. Because we ought to want life to matter beyond the here and now. It's not just in our final moments, but it has eternal consequences. That God is a God that will have eternal blessings, not just the here and now. Secondly, we need to remember that God is the giver of life. Life is precious because God has granted the gift of life. It's precious, and it's not solely our own. And that life is valuable and worth has worth because it was given by God, right? Have you ever been given a gift by somebody you valued that meant so much to you? And they gave you the gift. And it wasn't the gift itself that was valuable. It was the fact that they gave it to you. You can relate to that, right? The fact that God gives us the gift of life that we can breathe each day is a valuable, precious gift from God. And I think sometimes today we've, that's, we're desensitized 
with life and death, right? Death becomes a number. The recent tragedy in Hawaii, right? At this, last time I saw it, it was like 90, 92 people passed away. But see, we're so desensitized by death that it becomes a number, 92 people. But those are 92 precious lives. We get desensitized by death and by life. And what I mean by there's more to life than death is that if we can live life knowing that our final breath is not the end of our story, that we're not living our lives according to whatever that time limit is, well, I'm just going to do as much as I can because when I die, it's over. No, no. There's more to life than just your final breath. And if we can believe that God has a purpose for you, that he can do something in your life that goes beyond that final moment of whatever retirement or whatever final savings you have, whatever inheritance you can accumulate, or whatever checks, goes off your checklist of your bucket list, if God could do even more in your life, through you and in you, than beyond that, then how much more meaningful and valuable can we take every breath and every day in our life? That is the sanctity of life. We need to get back to a, a good understanding of the gift of life that God has given us so that we can better see the value of life as we go on. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, I thank you, Lord God, for another day. Each day we have, each day we have to breathe is a gift from you. We think we're in control of that. We try to control our diets, our exercise, our lifestyles. We do certain things to avoid risky things. But Lord, we know that we're really not in so much control as we think we are. Each day is truly a gift, Lord God, that you've given us. Help us to see how precious that gift is. Help us to see, Lord God, our days with an eternal perspective. We thank you, God. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.